This is the I Read Comic Books podcast at Emerald City Comic Con 2018, talking with colorist extraordinaire Kelly Fitzpatrick and also dog extraordinaire Archie. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Archie is busy eating treats, so he is uh, saying hi in his own way. <laughs> uh, so I've loved following your saga of um, being a dog mom. And uh, do you have you taught him how to do your flatting yet for you? Oh my God, I wish. No, he wants to, his whole thing is he wants to sit on my lap while I work and it doesn't work out because he's like five pounds and like a half a foot too long. So he just keeps moving around and like bumping my arm and I inevitably have to push him off. So he's basically destroyed my schedule, <laughs> my work schedule for the better, but yeah. Yeah, you color a lot of books. Yeah, I feel like we all kind of do a fair amount, yeah. Are there any books that you've done recently that you feel like you just had a lot of creative freedom and were able to just kind of let your imagination run wild? I kind of feel that way with all of my books, honestly. Um, I'm really lucky that the people that I work with, um, they sort of know what my style is, I guess. You know, every book has kind of its own thing going for it. Normally I'll talk to them about what I think would suit the line art and we talk it out in an email and then I'll send them a couple pages and we go from there. <laughs> oh my God, my dog. Archie is making really important contributions to this podcast <laughs> in his own way. <laughs> oh yeah, he's silly. Now you can see how easily my work is disrupted. But like, yeah, I get out a lot now and um, it's good because he he keeps me moving, you know, so I'm not just sitting at a desk all day. Do you think that work-life balance is makes you more able to create better, better work when you are working? Yeah, I guess so, because it keep like it makes it so I'm like hyper focused when I am working and then, you know, I get out and do stuff with him. Like I live next to a park, so we go to the park a lot and. Yeah, so I think it does it it does kind of like help me stay more focused with my work. You mentioned a minute ago about trying to uh work with the line art. Mm-hmm. How important is it as a colorist to understand a lot of different ca- kinds of penciling styles or or um art styles? I I think people maybe have an idea that what you do is entirely separate from what the the writer or the artist does, but can you talk a little bit about how integrated you are in in the process yeah I mean I I think it's you know inherently like the line art changes like a lot of the tonality of the story and when you're talking about like a horror book versus like an all-ages like adventure book they're gonna look very different especially with like the palette and with the style of the line art you know you there's there's a different aesthetic that you're kind of going for like children's books are typically brighter and like fun and kind of uh, like use a lot of just like very bright like yellows and blues and like you know but when you're talking like crime noir you want like really deep colors and normally the line art's heavier and the there's just different aesthetics and it goes with with the lines and it goes with the colors and so like if if I were to color <laughs> black hood the same way that I color shade it would look wrong you know and people would be like what what is going on here because it would be like a psychedelic look for this guy going around like 
like murdering people. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that would be so weird. I feel like people are starting to talk more about how color it, it contributes to the story and tells the story uh, in the same way that the art and the and the writing do. And I don't know, is there are there things that you wish critics or you know people who write about comics would focus more on when they talk about color? I wish people would stop trying to figure out when when the line art ends and when the color begins and who's kind of doing what. Because like we are all working collectively, kind of as one unit, you know? And we go back and forth about a lot of stuff. And um, it, like when I'm looking at comics, I don't know, I, I still don't know, you know, who's who's really doing what. Like, oh, did the line artist send that texture to that person? Or like, is this, is this like an entirely painted background that this person did or like, you know, there's all these things where like I start thinking about the technique of what's going into it. But I've read, I was reading uh, like a review the other day where somebody was saying, <laughs> cause occasionally I'll read reviews on my books and <laughs> which I know you shouldn't do, but somebody was saying like, well, and I think the flatter did. And I was like, what, why? Okay, it's great that you're trying to like appreciate that there are flatters that are like working and like the production that goes behind it. But I was like, there's no way that anything that the flatter did is showing up in like the final work. So why are you talking about it? Because I think it was somebody wanted to like seem like they were really smart and savvy about like what was going on in the industry. So like, let me mention flatters, you know, and like, but it came across as like, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Not to throw said people under the bus because I totally am. But uh, to me, it's just very much like we're all working so cohesively that, you know, you should take it as like, this is the this is the art. This is how I feel about the art as a whole. And mention both people, obviously, because it's not just typically it's not just one person doing it. But yeah, I think that it needs to be it needs to be talked about more as like a collective and less of just like hey, the line artist did all of this thing, or hey, I think the line artist did this, I think the colorist did this, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think I actually learned about flatters and what they do from you. At really? Yeah, we were talking at San Diego, oh and you explained it to me, and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I, yeah, I th so I think people maybe just have a misconception that that like you get pages like a coloring book, and you just like color them in. And oh, you know, it, when you don't have a people know like writing is typing words and people know that drawing, you know, line art is, you know, drawing the outlines, but, and, you know, coloring is a lot more complicated than just like you, what you would do with a coloring book. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a production side to coloring too, that a lot of people don't know about where, um, I feel like if you're a good colorist, you understand like your, your black values, your K, which we just say K cause like CMYK, so it's the black plates. Um, so there's there's production aspects to it too, like where you start talking about trapping and your ink limits, and like which is how how much ink like a page can actually hold once it's printed, so that the ink doesn't just like stick page to page. You know what I mean? Like, and different companies have different specifications for all of this stuff. And you know, as a, as a line artist, you your your page specs are 
if you're doing it traditionally, like the size of the paper that you draw on, which is slightly different at like a lot of companies. And there's also um, what resolution you scan it at, which is different at every company. And if they want it at, in grayscale or whatever, um, like there's, they're literally, I have an entire sheet I put together of all of this information for a class that I did. It's crazy how like slightly different each company is, but then when you get to coloring, it's a whole other skill set of production that goes on alongside of just like doing the art. So, and I think that people don't even like inherently realize that that's going on too. Um, and that there's, there's that as an added element into actually producing good work. Cause if you don't understand that stuff, then what you do on the computer is not what you're going to see on the page once it's printed. And so like it can, it can destroy a comic, you know, cause if it, if everything you're doing everything and it's kind of dark on the computer, it could print completely like almost black on a page and the comic would be unreadable. This is all completely fascinating to me. Really? Yeah, it's like drawing back the curtain. Also, it makes me feel like if anyone were ever going to stage a coup and like completely take over comics, it would be <laughs> colorists. Well, I sort of feel like that's happening a little bit because like there's so many colorists that are also writing or like were formerly colorists and and they're writing. And um like I can think of 3 off the top of my head and and it's it's interesting because I think that the more people that come from a coloring background or are doing more than one discipline in the industry, like the more they'll their art will like the more the art of coloring will be appreciated. You know what I mean? Because it gives it more exposure. So shifting gears a little bit, where do you go to find color palette inspiration? If you like feel like you're stuck in a rut and you kind of need to just kind of shake things up a little bit, what are some of your favorite places to find new color ideas? Oh, it's it it's weird. So like some people pull stuff from movies and occasionally I do that. Like if it's if it's something like that's referenced in the script, like we're doing this meets this and like this is the kind of style we're going for. I'm like, cool, and I'll go and look at the movie, but that's rare. It's normally like, hey, like recently, I'm uh, a book that's unannounced, um, <laughs> as vague as I can be, I'm working with an artist who I've wanted to work with for a long time, and he draws this like very golden age style sort of like children's book illustration. And so what I did is I decided I was going to look up like tons of like classic you know styles of like illustration and like these like old paintings and I really was like looking at like Arthur Rackham style I don't know if you know this like style like illustration work and, and the color palettes from that and like I'm so old school we were talking yesterday about like pin boards and stuff like that and I was like no I just have like a folder on my computer where I like google image search and just save all the images to the folder and then I start color picking and like adjusting like the CMYK sliders, you know, to like be like, okay, this is the color that I, that I think it, you know, it should be about like from, cause you know, like those are like low res Google images, but I do that. And then like, I, I find inspiration in weird places like Rockstars issue eight that came out, oh God, I don't know when, like a month or two ago. Um, that was like in the eighties time frame, And so I found like a tumbler of like really bad 80s uh, advertisements and started like color picking from that too. And I made an entire like photo, like Photoshop palette of that. And 
I started posting some of them on Twitter because I just thought they were like, I was like, maybe people find this interesting. And everybody was shocked at how organized I kept my palettes <laughs> because once I color pick, I drag them all so that they're sort of in like an order, like all the greens are here, all of like the lighter colors are here, you know, the, the reds, whatever. And so I sort of like organize them and delete the ones that are too similar to each other. And then I start from there and that's normally how I build palettes, which is not time efficient by any means. It's it's like, okay, well, I'm starting a new book, gonna take me five hours to build a palette. You know, I know like that day, I'm not gonna really, I'm gonna color like one page basically because I'm sitting there obsessing over a freaking new color palette, you know? <laughs> Do you think that all of that legwork on the front end makes it a smoother process as the book goes along? Yeah, absolutely. Because like, honestly, with Rockstars, like I... I, I did something similar like that with like 1970s stuff and I I took a lot of inspiration from like CD booklets and stuff like that from from the 70s and well not CD booklets but you know like records record booklets <laughs> duh um <laughs> from the time travelers yeah, right. <laughs> music collection you know and like the photo that like they would do like photo books and like stuff like that of like artists and they all have this sort of like same style of colors you know from like the photos at the time and so I I took a lot of that stuff and then you know I had that palette for seven issues you know I was good to go for like um, like over half a year and uh and then you know you take that same base base of it and then shift things a little bit into the 80s so that it's still like cohesive and yeah like all of the initial legwork happens when the book starts. And then the first issue for me is always like the big hurdle to get done because it's like, you're working with new people and you're like, you're trying to figure out like each other's strengths and like what you can, like how they can push you and you can push them to like start doing things, you know, better and better. And then it starts becoming like smooth sailing, you know, after that. So one of my favorite books that you color is Shade. And uh, Shade the Changing Girl uh, is transitioning into Shade the Changing Woman. And the color palette on that book to me has been one of the strongest aspects of it and such a strong like part of of the story and the journey. Can you talk about any tweaks that you've made to kind of represent the transition with color? So Marley is an amazing colorist. And most people don't know that. If you want to see some of her work, it's uh, The Secret Loves Loves of Geeks just came out, and she colored her own stuff in there. And um, she's she's just amazing. And I've, I've told her, like, she intimidates me because, like, the nighttime sequences, that was her palette choices. And she was like, hey, I, wanna, I want you to kind of do it like this. And she showed me, like, some tweaks to stuff. And um, I think Cecil was the one who came up with Loma being blue and Megan being pink. And then I started color coding that to be like Medans are all green and like green environments. And um, that uh, like rock has like yellow yellows and stuff like that. So like I started like expanding the, the color coding that was going on in the book. But I, I so wish that I could take credit for all of that but I can't uh but we went back and forth like it was like with Gerard Jamie Molly Cecil Marley and myself 
about six times for the first couple pages, which I don't think I've done that many revisions on pages. And I was terrified when we started the book because I was like, oh my God, they're not going to believe in me, you know, <laughs> like, because we just kept going back. And it was little things because um, Gerard was friends with this, they, they put out these like ash can things for San Diego that year that were black and white and had all these textures and stuff. And it was, that's where the half toning came in. And I had done a poster with him. This is such a long story. I had done a poster with him at his record label, record label, um, uh, Warner Electra for his, uh, solo album with, um, Gilbert Hernandez. And, uh, that had to only be like four, four or five colors because it was like a screen print thing and so I did half toning to like offset the fact that we were so limited because like if you've seen the poster it's like 20 characters and I'm like how am I going to differentiate 20 characters all standing together with like four four or five colors black and white included you know what I mean like it was like oh this is terrible so I was like this is this is a problem so I was like the only way you can do that is with with half toning to like separate you know like screen tone like little dots to like differentiate all that so his that combined with like his his buddy who's like a collage artist who does like a bunch of textures we went back and forth a lot on how much we should put in initially and played around with if each page should have like a like a xerox kind of you know like messed up things over top of it and then we're like, no, too much, too much. Cause like on every single page, it would be like insane. Um, and, uh, and it would just kind of devastate Marley's like the cleanness of her, of her work. Um, but then once we figured that out, you know, it's, it's been like little minor tweaks here and there, like, Hey, this, this background would look better if maybe you tried this or something like that, you know, for like one panel on a page. Um, which is, you know, that's so easy. <laughs> I feel like Marley's lines are almost sort of delicate and feminine. And, yeah. and, you know, I think that the color palette that you guys ended up with, it really works with that. Yeah. And like to go back to answer sort of like the second part of that, what for tweaking it, um, she came up with the hair idea too. Like she, she wanted it like, separated between like the the gray to the blue like a gray blue and then orange between sort of like the where the bob kind of ends the shagginess of it and then the extensions and I was like what if we do it with a gradient she's like oh yeah that works I just didn't want to give you that much work <laughs> you know kind of thing uh, which I really dig and she's got claws now which is really cool but I was working simultaneously on Gotham City Garage for whatever reason Photoshop and CC like once every six months or so glitches out when you're saving a file and it just saves this weird, weird glitchy pattern thing instead of your page. So it did that with one of my Gotham City Garage pages. I didn't lose anything, it was just, you know. I, and I was like, I'm gonna save this and use this as a texture. And then cut to shade starting like a month after. And I had, I put it in my shade folder because I was like, I'm gonna use this for something. And I've been dropping that into like the background of like every, we've done two issues now. The uh, We've banked two issues before it coming out. And uh, 
it's I'm using it in like the madness stuff. So like really what you're looking at is a corrupted page of Gotham City Garage in the background that I've just screwed with a bunch and like overlaid over itself several times and like whatever. I have so many layers on those shade pages. They're like so deceptively simple because they're all like basically flat pages with like textures and stuff. But like those pages are I, now that we have like a lot of time on them, it, it's just like we're going crazy to the point where like when I got notes back for the first issue, they're like, can you take some of this stuff away? <laughs> Cause I just start, I did the same thing that we did when we started shade, the changing girl. I just started dumping it all on them. Like tell me to pull back if you want me to, but here's everything in the kitchen sink, you know? <laughs> I love all this uh, like trivia. You know, this is like shade trivia that we're getting here. Yeah. It's that's why I said like, these are like weird tangential stories you know but like it all relates to to weirdly building the look for this book and initially because Gerard said he wanted like 90s energy and uh, <laughs> which like apparently I'm full of like if you know what I like to what music I like to listen to and everything it's all that so it's like all 90s stuff it's it's crazy but um I looked at what Daniel Vazo did on um shade the changing man in the 90s and i like directly like lifted some of the stuff that he did i told him that too at heroes con i was like man like you were the initial palette inspiration for this because i wanted to sort of take what he did and then modernize it a little bit and like shift it into something being like a little more like feminine and like what would suit the like like because it's not really a reboot but it sort of is you know what i mean all right, um, I'm gonna shift gears a little for our last question. Um, favorite Star Wars headcanon? Be more specific. Well, that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> okay, so for example, one of my favorite Star Wars headcanons is that Obi-Wan Jedi mind tricks Han Solo into taking him and Luke in the in the bar. Okay, I... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I have like headcanon. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm just the, I have this problem with Star Wars where every single thing Star Wars related, they inundate you with right before all the movies now. And I don't want to see any of it. I don't want to see any of it because like inherently, if I see a trailer, I'll just start crying. <laughs> like I, it like so emotionally affects me that like I'm so moved by Star Wars things that I just start crying. So like <laughs> I hadn't seen the uh, the initial Force Awakens trailer until I was in the theater for Mad Max and my roommate at the time was sitting next to me and the trailer comes on and she's like, oh, this is so great. This is such a good trailer. And I was like, oh, shit, this is a Star Wars trailer. Oh, sorry, a curse. I was like, oh, crap, this is the Star Wars trailer. And I realized what was going on. And I just start, like, openly weeping. And I was like, no! Because <laughs> it was so embarrassing. And, like, the it just... It, I go and see those movies with... I've always gone and seen those movies with my family, so it's like, I just always want to be with my family when I see the, the movies and whatever and so yeah I don't know I, I have a problem with Star Wars but I I take everything at like face value I'm very much, I'm like you're like crying right now <laughs> no I'm not I'm just slightly emotional like my voice is all breaking because it's like Sunday at the con and I'm losing my voice but um 
I love Star Wars. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with all of us. I, you know what, though? It's like, so I was talking about this with, with a group of other guys in Portland, and my whole thing is it's like, if they keep making the movies, I'll keep going to see them. I don't care how bad they are or how good they are because inevitably it's something I'm going to be interested in. So I'm like, they've, they've trapped me in this like whole Star Wars thing. And I just started rewatching Star Trek Enterprise recently. And so I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm stuck in the stars. <laughs> All the stars feels. Yeah. It's problematic. Uh, I'm, I'm now like, in love with T'Pol and I'm like I got a, I got problems I don't know well oh Archie I was gonna say had exhausted himself running around and was laying down on the floor but now he seems to be revived <laughs> um crazy. he's the best he's the best comics dog I'll take it because there's a lot of cute com- cute comics dogs I, I feel like any dog that's in front of me is the cutest comics dog uh follow him on instagram (laughs) yeah so do you where can people find you on the internet if they want to check out these pal i would i will definitely love to see some palettes that you post and and archie on instagram and all of that so tell us where we can find you so i only really have one public platform online for myself and that's twitter and i'm at wasted wings um which i wish you could change but i'm verified so i can't change it uh thanks thanks me in college and uh archie is boston boy archie on instagram um and i post pictures daily of him uh i am an obsessive dog mom um (laughs) also a little problematic between that and star wars i don't know what's worse i assume you have a star wars costume for archie oh my god i don't yet I have uh, a little Batman shirt for him though, but it's too cold for him to wear here because this convention, he was actually like double layering because he's like very hairless. <laughs> so he's like, I'm cold all the time. And he's from Alabama. So um, he's not used to like the wet, cold weather. Well, we will definitely follow and keep our eye out for a Star Wars costume at some point in the future, hopefully. Actually, he has two Batman costumes. <laughs> he's got a Batman costume and a Batman shirt. It's almost like I work for DC or something. (laughs) All right. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Thank you both so much for coming up on a Sunday to chat with us and um, have a great rest of your con. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me too. 